Welcome to the Keep Baseball Great podcast, where we're all about reminding baseball fans why they love the game. In today's episode, I get to talk to a broadcaster for the Texas Rangers, a host on MLB on Fox and Sirius XM's MLB Network Radio, the great CJ Nikowski. And after our conversation and a quick Google search, I have dubbed CJ the most interesting man in baseball. Uh, after our interview, you'll you'll quickly understand why, but we had a fun conversation. You get to hear how he's connected to an iconic L.A. Dodgers moment. You'll be blown away by how many of the top pitching performances in the past 20 years he's he's been a part of. Uh, what he and Michael Jordan have in common and how they started their baseball careers, plus a couple great insights and wisdom uh, that CJ has gained through the game of baseball. I've always enjoyed CJ on the broadcast, but after this interview, he's quickly one of my favorite people in baseball. I hope you enjoy these stories and insights that CJ gives us. So here's my interview with CJ. Well, CJ, hey, thanks, man, so much for joining us on the Keep Baseball Great podcast. It's a super privilege to have you on. Oh, it's my pleasure, Drew. I mean, this is the right time to do it, right? A lot of us sitting around with, uh, unfortunately, not a ton um, to do. So this is the time to get guests. We've been fortunate. You know, I do radio for MLB Network Radio, and we've had way more guests than we usually would. I do a morning show at 7 to 10 Eastern, and for a while, we were only going 7 to 9 Eastern. And the oh, idea wow. of getting guests, you know, during the season – almost forget about it. Maybe a right. writer or two that's up at that time of day, but uh, now it's been a little bit easier. So this is the right time to, to try to get some guests and, and practice your interviewing skills. That's right. That's right. Well, I love it. It's a benefit for me. Um, and again, it's a privilege to just kind of grab somebody like you and, and jump on the podcast. So thank you. Oh, I'm glad to do it. Yeah. So the Keep Baseball Great um, podcast is really just all about highlighting what keeps uh, baseball great. What What is it that people love about the game? And I know baseball kind of in the past has had its its downfalls with, you know, the cheating scandal recently, uh, kind of steroids, but, uh, and even outside of MLB, uh, and I think you have a couple boys that play baseball, right? I do. You have a 20-year-old and a 12-year-old with a, with a girl in the middle, but yes. Oh, man. So, so you know, like, youth baseball – these days, it's just way different than what it was kind of <laughs> when we were kids. And uh, there's just a lot of negative things that can come with that, a lot of great things that come with it, but a lot of negative that does. But Keep Elsewhere Great is just all about kind of learning from those, but but highlighting what's so good about it. Um, and I'm a Rangers fan, so I've been able to uh, hear you on the broadcast and hear your stories that you'd sell, the the way you rattle stats off is incredible. Uh, and just <laughs> the computers are good for that. That's mostly, <laughs> right. definitely not off the top of my head. That's either making sure I do my research right. or a lot of times like, and it's so interesting, just not that this was a, what it's about, but just the progress of, of what I learned in broadcasting. Mm -hmm. I used to only do about one game a week when I worked for FS1. Okay. So I had an entire week to prepare and I would over prepare like crazy and probably use about 10% of what I had. And once I started doing Rangers games and I was really nervous, to take the job. It was a job I really wanted, but I was also nervous because I went from doing 15 games a year to 100. And when mm. I run out of things to talk about and what my preparation looked like and what I learned over the, my first couple of years was basically how to streamline my prep and get a real good feel for what I think would come up during the game. You're still not going to have it, all of it. There's right. going to be some things where something happens during the game and you have a thought and you start kind of searching and looking for some comparisons. And if they're not there, they're not there. And you, and you got to let it go. You don't force it in. Um, the game usually dictates, but I've gotten myself to the point where I think I know where I want to go 
Um, but it's such a fascinating time in that regard because you're sitting there, of course, with an audience. You're never going to please everybody. You're not going to be able to, to engage all 100% of the people the way that you wish you could. But you're trying to find that balance in this new age of stats and stories and say, okay, well, you know, don't lose the fans that have watched this game forever that aren't interested in mm. kind of where we are with some of the new analytics. But don't leave behind the newer ones either uh, that, are, that are hungry for more. And how do you balance that? I don't think any of us get it perfect. Um, but I'll take some chances and push it a little bit. And, uh, and we love talking the game, but we love some of the numbers too and, and the stories that are behind them. Yeah, well, I mean, from my point of view, and I'm a, you know, I'm one of those, uh, I'm a big baseball fan, big Rangers fan, but I'm also, um, you know, I'm kind of right there in the middle where, like, I love to hear both. I love the, the strategy of the game and, and to hear that, but I also love hearing just stories of, of random things that, that kind of pop up throughout the game, so. And blowouts, or blowouts lend themselves to <laughs> conversations that completely go off the rails, too. Right, right. Hopefully not too many of those no. uh, with the Rangers. But, you know, it tends it, to happen. It happens. <laughs> That's cool. Well, so with that, we, we like to ask our guests um, just kind of five questions that I've kind of narrowed down what, what I feel like helps us all keep baseball great. And I'd love to kind of jump into those with you. Let's do it, man. I'm excited. All right. Sweet. So the first one uh, is really all about uh, history. So I, I love looking about the history of the game, just watching documentaries on, on kind of how it grew. And, and even, you know, I'm 41. And so, you know, the history for me even kind of goes, you know, 70s, 60s and into that. But so for you, what's, uh, what's one of your favorite uh, baseball historical moments that you kind of just always look back on and, and just enjoy? So I think there's a lot of them. And I right. think that there's a lot that people share. And so then I try to get to look like, at yeah, personal ones. I've been fortunate to play the game, mm. but then you have the ones that you go back in history and watch. And I think what I've been fortunate because I've played to be able to then connect them together. So as an example, as a kid, the Kirk Gibson home run, right? I'm yeah. a little bit older than you are. I'm 47 years old, but that was such a big deal when I was a kid and you get chills every single time that you would watch <laughs> that replay. It was amazing. Right. And so to see that and as a kid and then everyone, you know, do the fist pump as you go around first base or, or maybe practice him limping up to the, the box the way that right. he did. Like, that's a great moment in the game's history. Well, I was fortunate enough to call Kirk Gibson a teammate at the very end of his career when I got to wow. Detroit. I got traded to Detroit in 1995 uh, right at the deadline. He played for a few more weeks and then he actually retired before the season was over. And I had a locker next to him. So that kind of oh, moment cool. in history, which was a really big one, yeah. But then to walk into that clubhouse and call him a teammate, he was pretty hard on me. He was definitely an old school guy. <laughs> but now I even now and have the opportunity to continue to call him a friend in the broadcast world. Every mm. time we play Detroit, I run across him. We always have very lengthy and, and fun conversations. And I mean, it's, his passion for the game uh, is absolutely amazing in his memory. And he's, I think he's really good at what he does. So I like the idea that I can connect something like that, like a really cool moment in recent history. But then the fact that there's a tie-in um, and one that I'm really appreciative, a relationship that I, I'm really grateful to be able to have. Uh, so that would be one. And that would give you a, a couple that I just was fortunate enough to witness. Um, right. There have been – so technically there have been four 20-strikeout games uh, in our game's history in nine innings. For whatever reason, they don't like to give Randy Johnson credit. Randy Johnson <laughs> struck out 20 in nine innings, but the game went extra innings, right? So that one doesn't count. Roger Clemens did it twice. Kerry Wood did it once, and then we saw Max Scherzer do it. Well, I happen to be at two of those four. Uh, I actually pitched in the Roger Clemens game uh, when he struck out no uh, 20 in 1996. That was at Old Tiger Stadium. And he had done it 10 years apart. He did it in 1986, and then he did it 
1996. So that was cool. And then there was another personal tie-in. Uh, this was four or five years later. I lived in Houston for a while down in Sugarland, And of course, Roger lives in Houston. And I started working out with him in the off seasons because I knew his trainer, Brian McNamara. I know the whole story kind of blew up in a real negative way eventually <laughs> right. down the road. Uh, but I, you know, so then to be able to pitch in that game, be part of that little piece of history, just because I'm in the box, you know, I happen to just be in the box score. Uh, but then to be able to, to work out with him a few years later was kind of cool. But then I was at the Kerry Wood game too, as a member of the Astros. Uh, in 1998, and easily the most dominating performance I've ever seen. Some say maybe uh, the greatest that the game um, has ever seen. So that was another little cool moment mm. that I got to see uh, in person. And then the final one was Randy Johnson's perfect game against the Atlanta Braves in 2004. I happened to be sitting in the bullpen for that one um, <laughs> as well. And usually when you're in these spots as a player, on the other side of it, you kind of root for it a little bit, not out loud. Not in right. front of your teammates, right? So when Kerry Woods got, you know, whatever it was, 18 strikeouts going into the ninth inning, I'm like, come on, man, you got oh, two yeah, more. You got it. Like, you want to see it. You can't say it out loud, but you want to see it. I will tell you that when Randy Johnson was working on that perfect game, I didn't want to see it because mm. we were struggling really, really bad. And at, at that moment, we ended up winning the division. I got traded away before it was all said and done. But um, we just – it was not, it was not the right time. Yeah. It was just kicking us when we were down um, with the Atlanta Braves. So I know you wanted one. I can't help but – get a little bit long and talk about a couple of different ones. And then I got yeah. to play with Randy. I played with Randy Johnson before that, actually, uh, okay. in 98 when he was with us with the Astros, of course, traded over for those couple of months. But uh, th to me, those are some of the coolest ones I got to witness in person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you can't really narrow it down, especially with the, the amount of baseball you've been able to experience. It's kind of hard to narrow it down, but those stories are great. That, that's incredible that you've been to that many uh, just big pitching games. That's, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and I did get to see Eddie Murray hit his 500 home run against us okay. um, in Baltimore, which is a pretty cool one too. But there was a massive rain delay, so it didn't happen until I think it might have been after midnight oh. by the time he actually hit the home run. So there wasn't nearly as many fans around, but it was it was still kind of cool to sit in the bullpen and watch it happen. Watch it. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Well, I, I know earlier we kind of talked about you. You have kids uh, that played, and I know again with the history that you've played. Uh, experiencing baseball with family and friends is, is a big thing, you know, especially for us that don't get to go on and play in the big leagues. But uh, even now, you as a dad, uh, what are some moments that you kind of have shared either with family or friends that just kind of help you look back and enjoy the game even more for it? Yeah, so I was introduced to baseball by my father. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in suburban New York. And we went to maybe one or two games a year. Um, we lived about 30 or so minutes out. Um, but we would drive to Westchester County and then kind of take the train in. So like everybody, I think like so many other kids uh, have that same memory of kind of walking through the stadium and getting to your seats and just the excitement of going to games as a kid, right? That's where the passion really, I think for yeah. me started, it was just an amazing thing to sit there, uh, look at that unbelievably green grass and, and sit in Yankee stadium, and watch baseball games and have that dream that millions and millions of kids mm. um, have. So that's, I think that's how it kind of gets, you know, locked into your heart. Um, a little bit. I will tell you that something I never realized until almost the back end of my career. When you're playing professionally, it's, it's your job. Like, you know, you love it, but it's your job. And for a guy like me with such an up and down career, some highs, but a lot of lows and a lot of moving around and a lot of stress, you know, quite mm -hmm. honestly. And, and you're fighting because you love it and it's what you do best, but it can really be taxing. And it was. And for me and my family, my wife's been such a trooper through the whole thing. But something that a friend had said to me, um, I guess yeah, I was probably about 12 or 13 years. Um, into my career. He came to visit me in Japan. I played in Japan for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And what they did was they gave me um, four tickets for my, to bring basically both sets of my parents or bring my family over, excuse me. And then they gave us a couple of extra tickets to bring other friends and family over the course of the year. Well, my second year there, I gave those tickets to some friends of mine. 
And so they got to fly over to Japan, which they never would have done otherwise mm. and, and come experience that. And what my friend had said to me, he's like, did you ever stop and think about for a second how, how your career and you're just chasing your dream and doing what you love has gained experiences for so many other people. And, mm. and I don't, when you're in the middle of playing it, you just don't think about those kinds of things, right? The idea that they would fly to Japan uh, and watch me play was something that he was very appreciative of and, and really cool. I, I joke around with my now wife, but she was my girlfriend at the time. She drove, she was still in college, drove to watch me pitch against the Philadelphia Phillies in 1995, a game that was on ESPN and watched me get my first win, you mm. know, and, and I beat Kurt Schilling one nothing in a game, but I didn't have very oh, many wow. good starts, but that was a really fun That's one. Cool. Yeah. And so a moment like that, and she was there and about 20 or so other of my friends and family mm. um, that were there, people that drove out to Cincinnati to see my big league debut, like things they would have never otherwise done, like these little trips and things that have happened and the experiences that they get from it. For my kids, um, you know, they were a little bit uh, young toward the end of my career, but the idea of getting to travel to uh, places like Japan and Korea, go to school in Japan because baseball brought me there. All of those kind of experiences, I think, for our family and for our friends. Again, not what you're thinking about when you're in the middle of it. Toward the end when he said it to me, and then kind of as you're done and you look back and reflect, like, oh, yeah, that was really fun. That was cool. I'm glad they got to be there for it. So those kind of things just pile up. Um, but you're not really taking note of them until it's mm. all said and done. Yeah. I, uh, you know, even for me, like as a dad and not, not playing in the big leagues, but even now, like my son is uh, just turned 13. Even now, like I, I look back and think, man, I should have really like, it, you know, enjoyed those baseball moments or enjoyed <laughs> just playing catch. Like it was just kind of a thing we did, sure. you know, it's hard. Now, yeah. But now it's like, so much you know, going on. The parents have so much going on. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, I guess that is hindsight. It's like, I don't know how I got here. How did these years pass? But <laughs> here we are. Um, yeah, it goes so, quick. So learning just to, to enjoy the moment, like you said, that's, yeah. that's really good. Uh, so, okay. So the third question is uh, life lessons. I know baseball is uh, probably, I mean, all sports kind of give you life lessons and mm-hmm. team and all that. But I feel like baseball is such a, a unique one because of the, you know, like the batting average, and, and it's just such a negative game, um, and, and it's hard to kind of think back on those things, but as you play baseball, what are some life lessons that you've kind of just, you know, grabbed as you played, whether you personally or maybe something with your kids, but um, something that you kind of grabbed onto that you can always remember? So uh, there's definitely a few, and I think what you're talking about a little bit is that failure that you get in the game, right? That you right. can fail so often and then still be considered to be someone who's been successful. Right, right. And really learning through that. I will tell you that I, I shot through the system with the Reds. They were very aggressive. That was their first-round pick, and they sent me to Double A in 1994. I actually got to play in the same league as, as Michael Jordan in the Southern League and face him a few times. And if for anybody that's been watching The Last Dance, it was kind of funny. I think it was in Episode 7. Uh, where uh, Jerry Reinsdorf was on and he said, you know, we sent him a double A and nobody starts their professional career in double A. And I nudged <laughs> my wife and I was like, Hey, I'm, I did, I mean. you know, the other one. And it was kind of funny. So, but, so I kind of shot through the system really quickly and, and got to the big leagues very fast. And, and that maybe not was such a great, maybe not such a great idea, but that's kind of the way that it went down. Yeah. And when I got there, I had a couple of really nice starts. Didn't get a win just yet, but things were going pretty well. And then I had three just absolutely horrific starts and got sent down. And so at that moment in my life, I had failed on the biggest stage that I've ever failed on in my career. Mm. And it really shook me. I mean, it really did. It took me a long time, like that year and then a lot of next year as well to kind of get through that 
and really understand it and not beat myself up so much. So I would say that not only learning about failure and your ability to bounce back, you, you just have to, whether it's baseball or it's life, we know like life can, can absolutely just beat you up and beat you down and, and really, especially now in this stage, right. this day and age of social media, where there's enough people there to insult you or argue with you or whatever it may be, that you got to be careful about how you take those things and how you recover from them. Right. Those are really, really important lessons. I think that you learn in the game, but then I think probably one of the biggest things, the biggest regrets, and it took me a long time to learn this one about myself was that I never gave myself credit for anything I did well. Mm. So like I said, I first came up and three of my first starts were really good, but I didn't care. They were over with, it didn't matter. But when I had the bad ones, boy, did I think about those bad ones a lot and everything that I did wrong. And, you know, again, where my value was and how I viewed myself as a player, where my confidence was. And, and I look back as I get older and say, hey, you know what, you did that well, or be proud of that or whatever it may be, or the, you had this nice run here for a couple of months, but I never did that as a player. And so that's one of those things I remember as I was kind of transitioning out of baseball, or it took, I had a soft landing. I thought I was going to be done for like six, seven years. And it finally did have like every year. I was like, oh, this is probably it. This is probably it. But the phone kept ringing. But then as I, as I um, made that transition out of baseball, I, I remember talking to someone about the things that you learned in the game to make sure that you don't make those mistakes in your second life, whenever mm -hmm. your second career is. And that's something that's, that's really important to me. Uh, not that you're arrogant or cocky or anything like that, but just not to – and I never had a problem really with critics. I, that stuff didn't bother me very much. It's going to happen. It comes to the territory. But if something goes bad – don't harp on it and don't all of a sudden then wrap up your identity in that one bad moment, mm. right? There's a reason why you're doing the job that you're doing. I've been very fortunate in broadcasting so far to uh, get a national job pretty quickly throughout my career, especially for not being a named player. Uh, and then this, when this Rangers opportunity opened up and it was something I wanted really badly and to get that opportunity, but I just love what I do right now in the organization that I do it with. And so when I mess up, whether it's having a bad broadcast or maybe a bad inning or you mess up a call, it's going to happen. And then people are there to remind you about it all day long <laughs> say, you know what? Okay. That's don't, don't get caught up in that stuff the way you did as a player. Don't mm -hmm. get caught up in the negativity. Don't focus on everything that you've done bad. Give yourself some credit once in a while. Again, doesn't mean to be arrogant. Doesn't mean to be cocky, uh, but do not just absorb only the negative things that happen uh, in your life. And then that's how you identify yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a, I do graphic design um, for a living also. And I am my own worst critic. And, and I think that is exactly kind of hit it right on the head. It's, it's, you know, what other people think, you know, it, it is what it is, but what I think of whatever I do is mm -hmm. uh, can be either really good or really bad and, and hold yeah. me back on, on certain things too. But yeah, it's tough. I'll tell you something real quick too. When I was right before I got to the Rangers in 2002, I sat down and did one of these personality tests and I didn't really mm. believe in it at all. But some guy was like, hey, I'm working with this company. Please come try this. I said, all right, I'll do it. And basically all it was was about 300 words. Just And you had to check off whether or not that word described you. I'm like, come on, this can't be like that. Right? <laughs> so I filled this thing out. And then they spit out these results. And what they do is they kind of compare you to some of the absolute best in the field. And they kind of gather mm -hmm. all this data. And so it comes back and it gives me kind of these, these couple of things to really focus on. One of them uh, was deference, meaning that you allow a lot in instead of just really staying focused on what you're supposed to. And I mean, that, that hit it on the head for sure for me. I think about every time I change teams and I would go to a new one to be spring training, I have to throw a bullpen, right? And instead of just me and the catcher throw my bullpen because that's all I could control, 
I noticed every person that was watching, mm. there's the GM there, there's the pitching coach there, <laughs> there's the manager over there, there's a really good pitcher on our team there, whatever it may be. And all of that stuff I would allow into my thought process, which meant that that took away really from the task at hand. Right? Mm. So that's one thing I learned about myself just by checking off um, those words. But probably the biggest one, and I actually wrote this down on a piece of paper for a couple of years and made sure I always had it uh, to look at to remind myself was ultimately to be uh, less self-critical kind of like what you were talking about, and then yeah. more aggressive. Because one of the things the guy said to me was, I bet you're, and I don't know you that well, but he goes, I bet you're probably a pretty nice guy and a really nice teammate, and you care about people, and you care about your teammates, which I, I felt like I did. I absolutely felt like I always would be invested as my team in my teammates as people. He's like, that's great, but here are some things that where it's not working out so well for you, that part of your personality <laughs> is that you're ultra self-critical, which was true, um, but then there was some aggressiveness lacking because of it. And I was like, man, that is so true. And I never knew that about myself until That's somebody crazy. kind of pointed it out. And, and those are the things you learn. You wish you knew that from day one. <laughs> right? I used to, you remember, do you remember Jose Lima? Do you remember that name at all? Jose yeah, Lima yeah, yeah. was a right-handed pitcher and he was such a fun guy. And unfortunately he, he passed away much too early of a heart attack. But one thing I always admired about him was that you know, early in his career, we were both in Detroit. He was not very good either. He struggled. He could have five bad starts in a row and just get absolutely crushed. As soon as he had that one good one, he's dancing after the game. He's having a blast. He's acting like he's probably going to win the Cy Young Award that year. And I always envied that about him. Because yeah. I was like, why are you not beating yourself up over the last five bad starts that you had? And, I, and those, the people that can do that stuff, they just forget and move on. Mm. I've always been envious of, but I think it's a really good trait. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. I, and now that you say that, I'm, I'm jotting notes down for myself here. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, so uh, the next one is giving back. Um, and I know with MLB, you know, some of those big name players, they've got platforms and they're able to, to give back and, and do really good things. And, and baseball offers that platform for them. But, um, and it looks different for, for guys like myself um, who give back in different ways with whether it's the league or just with my, my son or whatever. But have you been able to been a, a part of a situation where you were able to give back or, or maybe someone gave to you through the game of baseball uh, that just kind of really stuck with you? So there's a couple of different ones and there's so many great opportunities now, especially one of the things I love that what we see with some of the GoFundMe stuff mm. and how easy it is something pops up with someone. As an example, we had someone at FS1 who had gotten uh, breast cancer. All of a sudden she was in really bad shape and needed some help. Boom, you can slide right in, mm. you can do it anonymously. Um, you know, if that's what you prefer, I kind of like to do that. I know some people say, Hey, you know what, put your name on this and maybe it'll encourage other people. I struggle with that because right. I don't want, I don't want the arrows pointed at me at all. Um, so I do love those little kind of sneaky things that you could there mm. just help somebody out and be an encouragement. I would say that most of the stuff that we've done over our time, uh, has usually been faith-based. Uh, for the most part, there was an organization we used to live in Houston that we supported really consistently, um, that just helped, uh, families that were underserved. Uh, for a really long time. There is now an organization in Dallas that I've only, I've only donated to, but I, I want to get a little bit more involved. Again, I'm always worried about, I don't want the, the, the arrows getting pointed back at me. Right. I've gotten a couple of nice notes from this organization called Hope Farm, which is out uh, in Fort Worth, which does a really nice, I love their vision and what mm. they do. And their focus is on at youth risk. Oh, excuse me, uh, youth, you know, they're, they're at risk. A lot of single moms, uh, and it's a Christian-based organization which gives them a place uh, to come to do a real lot of things. And so I plan, and we haven't gotten there yet, but one of the things I want to do for them is to, to get them a little bit more involved in opportunities to come to games, uh, mm. maybe share something, you know, with, with broadcasting. And, and, you know, whenever I, I, I get, uh, it pulls at me a little bit when I think about children that, that are 
brought up without dads, right? The dads that have decided to leave. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that that happens, but especially ones that just aren't there, that they decide they don't want to be in the picture. My father uh, was in the Navy for 20 years. When he was Mm. done, he was, he taught ROTC at a high school. And what he, and this was in New York and he, he worked in some pretty tough spots in New York city and Passaic, New Jersey. And he would bring kids home every once in a while on the weekend. And we didn't live like in the country, but it was kind of the suburbs just to get them out of there and to give them some opportunities. And so that was something that he always kind of planted in me a little bit. Like if there's somebody not there for them, perhaps there's opportunities for you um, to step in. So that one to me, that organization, I've only supported them financially so far, but one that I'd like to take um, a little bit farther because that's something that to me, um, is really, really important. But we, we've spread stuff around a little bit more on the financial side, um, which, you know, we're grateful that we're able to do that mm. when we can. I think from a time standpoint, um, you know, it's, it's weird for me living in Atlanta, not being in Dallas as much. It's a little bit tougher. I have my parents here and I have younger kids that are still in school and trying to get through that. We'd like to be a little bit more full-time involved in the community um, mm. in Dallas. With time, uh, I do love coaching. Uh, I've coached basketball. I've coached baseball. Um, and just try, you, know, you mentioned this earlier, some of the chaos that's going on in <laughs> right. sports to just try to come in and be a voice of reason yep. and try to make it as good of an experience as possible. It doesn't mean that we're not a little bit competitive, uh, but right. you know, trying to keep it all in perspective. You know, I, I'll even joke around with the kids. And I said, I don't, I doubt any of you guys are going to the NBA. Maybe that'd be a nice surprise, <laughs> but you know, and then try to go and kind of go from there and, and really make it a positive experience. So yeah. there's a handful of different things. We, I've never, you know, it's, it's, you always try to figure out like where you're called and what your, hmm. you know, really maybe what your purpose is. I've never been called to be someone that started my own foundation. I, I prefer to support others as much as possible and people do amazing work. Yep. Um, and so whenever we feel uh, that, you know, there's something that's pulling at us, um, you know, we're always, we're always uh, happy to lend a hand. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I know, you know, going, going back to the youth sports, I mean, the biggest thing I remember is hanging out with my friends and getting the snow cone afterwards. Yeah. And so yeah. to put all the pressure um, on the kids these days like that, it, it's crazy, but it's incredible to be able to uh, kind of step in and just have a, mm-hmm. a different voice than probably with some the of the crazies. Well, you know what? So there may be, I joked around this on, about this on Twitter the other day, but there, you know, this social distancing, obviously we wish this virus wasn't here. But there may be an upside down the road, right? The idea that parents can't go near the dugout yeah. and there's no <laughs> meetings after the game. Like I always joke around that. I don't know. I don't care what the score was after the game. Whichever coach has the shortest meeting, that's the winner. Winner. Because <laughs> listen, we're we're boys. We're supposed to be men. Like you got me for like two minutes and that's it. And I'm yep. out. Yep. Um, like I said earlier, I'm paying attention to everything else that's going on and not listening to you probably <laughs> um, anymore. So I, I'm big on uh, let them play, teach them some stuff, and then. Go get that snow cone and get out of there. That's right. That's funny. I, I think I, I actually said something very similar to that, too. I was like, if we all just said, uh, okay, the kids can go play sports, but, you know, parents can't, how many mm. parents would be like, oh, yeah, we're, we're good with that? Like, it yeah. would, I feel like it'd be like a big uproar. And so, it would be different. I will tell you this real quick, too. I had that. So I had a little kind of baseball workout here in Georgia. They've, they've relaxed some things. They're actually going to start some youth baseball oh, cool. here pretty soon. And so I had uh, five of the kids over for just a little, a little bit of a workout. And at the end, we were playing wiffle ball and all five dads were there. And uh, I said, basically, and it's short enough where you can hit a home run. And I said, if you hit a home run, I said, if you don't hit a home run, you get two pitches, then you have to sprint a double because we were doing some running at the end of practice. I said, but if you do hit a home run, then your dad has to run an inside the park <laughs> home run. They were all about it. All I mean, about the it. idea that they could make their parents run and make them <laughs> a little bit tired, was, uh, it was a lot of fun. So something to think about, those kind of things to incorporate uh, yeah. into practices and make it fun. 
Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate the, the financially giving back. Um, and, and I look forward to some opportunities in the future to be able to do that through this also. But I just feel like giving back is, is just a real big part of, of what makes about great for me. And, and I know yeah. for a lot of others too. Um, yeah. You talked a lot about, you know, kids that don't have dads. Um, I know for me now, and, and even some of my favorite movies, the, the last shot of the movie is them playing catch with a dad. And, uh, and so I know I cherish that moment with my kid. And so, uh, to be able to give back to something to help support those kids is, is incredible. Yeah. So we'll think about that too. Like how we're introduced to the game. Yeah. Right? I feel like most of us, that's how it happens. It happens mm-hmm. at home for our game baseball. Cause it's a tough one to just kind of pick up with your friends, right? It's right. not, you can, but that's usually not how we're introduced to the game. Mm. Of course you can go play basketball by yourself in your driveway or, you know, at the street or at school, whatever it may be, but it doesn't happen nearly as much as baseball. You can play football in the street or do whatever with a couple of guys. But, but baseball is the sport that I've always felt like is introduced at home. Like the Mm. most exciting time for me as a kid was watching my dad pull up after work and I'm sure he was exhausted and just (laughs) nagging him to come outside and play catch with me. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I think where a lot of us do get introduced and it's very easy and I got to check myself every once in a while. Mm. You've had a long day or I just was traveling or I'm worn out. Yeah. They say, oh, let's do it later. Let's do it later. Um, and I was got to check in with myself once in a while and say, there might not be a later. You know, you may mm. know what's going to happen. They're going to grow up before you know it. They're not going to want to play catch anymore. Yeah, that's true. Take advantage of every one of those opportunities as much as you can. That's cool. That's cool. Well, uh, so with all those questions and in and, and all the stories, kind of the last one I always kind of lean towards is just the fun of the game. And, and we've kind of touched on a lot of that, but, but everything kind of culminates into one Thing and it just makes you smile, makes you have fun, and, and, and baseball does that uh, in certain and different ways. And so I know with as much experience as you had uh, playing the game, traveling, uh, and doing all that, what are some of your just most fun moments you've had in baseball that you kind of remember? So rarely do they actually happen on the field. Some do, but the majority of the memories that you hear players talk about when they're not talking about the big moments or mm. telling stories for an interview – uh, will have to do with either in the dugout, in the clubhouse, right. on the team plane, uh, maybe on the bus. Like, you know, there's no media there. It's where you can kind of let down a little bit. And you take this group of 25, it'll, the number will be higher this year, but, you know, usually 25 guys, um, usually in their 20s. And they're come, and you know, these are not a group of guys you get to pick, right? You're kind of thrown together. So mm-hmm. there's always that, you know, there's going to be some friction here and there. It just kind of comes um, with the territory. But I always say this, that now that I can look back, and I didn't think about it at the time, but one of the things that I'm most appreciative of is the players from all around the world that I've got to play with, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, those experiences of playing with players from Japan, from Korea, I actually got to play in both of those um, countries as well um, Mm -hmm. and play in those those ballparks. But from the Dominican, from Venezuela, from Mexico, from Canada, like you get all this, this huge melting pot. Uh, from people that loved, have loved the game just like you did when you were a little kid and playing catch with your dad and however they were introduced into the game. And then they all now uh, are riding those buses with you, fighting that same fight. And then the way that you unwind, uh, whether it's playing cards on the plane, maybe having an adult pop once in a while, uh, dressing up rookies, um, those kinds of yeah. things were always so much fun. Or when you were a rookie, uh, getting dressed up <laughs> like I was and having to walk through customs in Toronto in a ridiculous suit. Oh, um, it's just kind of it's kind of the way that it goes. That one year we took the guys and and we dressed them up in super friends outfits. Oh, and uh, as we landed in Boston, it was after a day game, so it was still you know decent out. It wasn't too late. 
uh, stop the bus about five or six blocks before the uh, we get to the hotel and make him get out and walk the rest of the way. And then all of a sudden, you know, you got every Superman and Spider-Man and Robin walking down the street and taking video. Those kind of, and the guys that played along and had fun with it. Yeah. Um, those are the great memories. I mean, there's just so many of them. We had a conversation the other day. Uh, we were talking, I was doing this with Fox Sports Detroit. And we were talking about closing out Old Tiger Stadium. And we got, you know, we were fortunate to be on that roster and, and finish out what was a really cool historic stadium. And one of the guys, Brian Moeller, was telling a story about how um, we actually stayed. We still, the season wasn't over. We finished the ballpark, but we still had a road trip in Minnesota. But they decided they were going to fly out the next day, which you really never do. Um, and he slept in the stadium that night. And he was uh -huh. looking for a souvenir uh, from the stadium that he wanted to have. And there was a sign that hung over the, I think it hung over the visiting or the home clubhouse. I can't remember outside that basically said no visiting media 30 minutes before uh, game time. And it was a really old sign. You could tell it'd been there for a really long time. I was like, man, I'd love to have that sign. And so we took the sign down and kind of hit it in his locker. Well, we take off for Minnesota. And he said, when he was there, he got a phone call from security because they saw him <laughs> on the video cameras and he's a super nice guy. And it's not like him to want to steal anything. It's like, right. oh, who care, right? And so they had video of him actually stealing that sign from Old Tiger Stadium. <laughs> and they he said, oh, okay, I understand. And they took it back and, and you get it. But those kind of things that happen um, like that over the years, those kinds of fun stories mm -hmm. and guys being goofy. One of the other gifts that this game gives you is that no matter how old you are when you're done playing, uh, for me, I got the pitch level was 39. I was a couple months short of, of reaching my 40th birthday, which was kind of a, a silly goal. But no matter how old you are, you, you don't actually ever have to grow up. Like you still get to be a kid or a boy that's on that high school team or that little league team yeah. and act dumb. And I know you got to be a little bit more careful now and you're going to get <laughs> called out for it once in a while. But I think it's that part of remaining a kid and doing goofy and sometimes dumb things um, with your buddies from all around the world uh, is what makes uh, this game so much fun to play professionally. That's awesome. And uh, I know, uh, so you're doing a, a podcast with uh, Ryan. Yep. Ryan Spielborgs. Spielborgs that's right. Yep. Uh, One man's trash. And I, I've just got a kick out of watching some of those, just hearing the stories that those guys, you know, they're showing whatever they have and mm -hmm. hearing the stories. So that, for me, that's a lot of fun kind of hearing those things, but Give, give me one. You got a, a shelf full there. Give me one of those. Yeah. So it turned, it was, it was because of what was happening with all the downtime, first yeah. of all, for, for Ryan and I, and it was like, Hey, we got to start cleaning up some things that we put off for years. <laughs> then we started going through some things that we had um, collected. So there's a bunch of baseballs back there. I think that one Brown glove, um, I actually told, I told that story it was a lefty closer um, that I played with in Japan. This guy was like five, seven and about 145 pounds. He was oh the smallest gosh. pitch you ever seen in your life. And, <laughs> but he pitched like he was six, five, 250. And he was just such a character and a lot of fun. And those are the kind of things mm. um, that, you know, you really enjoy. You can see over my, I guess it's my left shoulder, that NYPD hat. I don't know if you can see that yep. really well yeah, up there. Yeah. So these were the ones that I can reach it here. So I played for the Mets. I, you know, I grew up in New York, but I only played for the Mets for one month. It just happened no to be September of 2001. Oh, wow. right? And so I was there during 9-11. And of course, we wore the hats to, to kind of cool. honor the first responders. So this was the hat that I got to wear um, for that month. You know, the season went a little bit later that year, the regular mm -hmm. season. So, you know, something that's kind of uh, near and dear um, to my heart, but just all these kind of, you know, fun things and things that we would, would give. We started giving away some of the things that we yeah. had. That red glove that is right there is a Korean glove that I had. Um, you can see my Rangers hat up there. Yeah. So that kind of goes, it's, that almost res, uh, represents beginning to end. The mm. red hat is my St. John's hat where I went to college. Okay. The orange hat is the hat that I threw my last pitch in 
which was the Toros del Estes, which is a winter ball team in the Dominican. Okay. Uh, the D is a Doosan kind of throwback hat. And I got my Rangers hat up there as well. Uh, some fun baseballs that I've collected over the years. Um, I'm not, it's funny. I sit there and you look at all those balls. I'm actually not a real big collector. Some of those, there's a ball in there, I think from like 1983 from a home run I hit in little league <laughs> that, my, that my dad like wrote a note on. Um, so there's That's fun awesome. little stuff like that, but I do have a Michael Jordan signed baseball from oh, cool. playing against him in the Southern league in 1994, Bob Shepard, who was the PA announcer um, at Yankee stadium all those years. Uh, and just someone that I admired. I have an autographed baseball from him. One of my favorites, you know, basically mm. the Chuck Morgan of New York. Right. And if you think about the great Chuck Morgan, um, great voice, great personality and, and what he means, right? You hear his voice, right? You yeah. bring your son and say to a Ranger game and that's the voice that he hears. And even for me coming through as a visiting player, like I knew, and I didn't know who Chuck was when I came through as a visiting mm. player, but like, oh yeah, that's the Ranger that's guy. That's the voice. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that connection that you make, even with PA announcers, I think it's just, it's so cool. And it's just part of the memories. If you're someone who, you know, even attends just a handful of, of major league games a year. So yeah. it was really cool to kind of go through our stuff. A lot of junk in there is a Juan Gonzalez bobblehead back there uh, to go along with the Dontrell Willis <laughs> uh, as well. There's a black and white picture that's right there that I got when um, that's my dad and you can't see it that well, but that's my dad and Willie Randolph from wow. probably about 1978 or nine, somewhere in there, maybe 1980. Um, and I met Willie and that's, that was another thing that really turned me on to baseball. He was the first player that I met and he was the, my first idol nice. uh, and then got to have him as a coach later with the New oh, York cool. Yankees. Yeah. Just that kind of stuff, man. It's just, yeah. I'm grateful for all of it. Um, because just like everybody else, I just grew up loving the game and yeah. a bunch of memories followed after that. Well, that, that is awesome. I, I love, I love all that stuff. Thank you so much for sharing. I know, um, for a lot of us just hearing, hearing a lot of the, those things, especially, uh, in these times right now where we're, you know, we don't have baseball to watch and we don't have anything. We're just kind of trying to grab what we can and, and hopefully we get started soon. But um, can't thank you enough for just sharing uh, those answers and the stories of, of just keeping baseball great. So I appreciate it. You got it, Drew. It's the greatest sport in the world, man. It's my pleasure to spend some time with you today. Indeed. Hopefully uh, we'll see you soon. Uh, I hope so too. <laughs> Well, thanks for listening to our interview with CJ. He is a all-around great guy. If you have a chance, uh, look him up on Wikipedia. It's amazing the stuff that uh, he has been a part of and has experienced. Um, just a lot of good insight and good stories from him in this interview and can't thank him enough. Uh, if you're listening in, just be sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. Uh, but that's it for today. Thanks for keeping baseball great.